I've titled this week's episode, The Virtual Power of a Polish Energy Entrepreneur, interview with Bartok Kowalski, and this is going to be episode 45. I want to welcome you to the My Energy 2050 podcast, where we speak to the people building a clean energy system by 2050. I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. And this week, we got on a longtime friend of mine from Poland, Bartok Kowalski, and I'm really apologizing for the name, the pronunciation. He's the director of the Polish Liquid Gas Association, and I've known Bartok for over a decade, and he's always a well of knowledge on the Polish energy scene, and of course, on what is happening in Europe, and really the impact that has on developing countries or newer member states like Poland. And what we're going to get into today in this episode is really we have a broad discussion about Poland and nuclear power and hydrogen. It's really kind of forward looking, but based on Bartok's experience in Poland. And he's got a range of positions and a range of companies. You'll hear about all this. And because of that, he's really grounded in what is happening in Poland and how companies are able to make money or, as he, as he knows from his own experience, how they're not able to make money. And, and this is really important because when we think about the energy transition and all the effort, the new technologies, the new businesses that actually need to be created, and not just relying on older established companies to make this transition happen, these challenges that Bartok relays to us are super important to cover. And uh, more broadly, though, we, we get into the history of nuclear power and both why that didn't occur uh, in Poland in the past and why it may actually happen in the future. I don't know. I think we should have left it on a bet by the end of our, our discussion. He's definitely optimistic. and I think I'm, I'm less so. Uh, we do go into great detail about uh, hydrogen in Poland and how it could be something and something could happen both with electrical vehicles, creation of battery manufacturing hubs in Poland, and what does the future hold as coal is phased out in the country. Bartok, he's been really active in the startup scene, and we go into detail about the virtual power plant company that he helped establish, and he does recount the difficulties of this small energy company because it actually saves energy for the consumer, for their partners that they, they connect with. But at the same time, because they're saving so much money and it actually turns out to be a low cost business, it doesn't cost that much to make this company run. It doesn't attract the money from VCs or from others just because it's actually quite simple to do. So it really gets to the heart of, of how we have a smart energy system or we're trying to develop one. But then the, the financial incentives for greater investment into certain types of companies, even though they make a big difference, may actually not be there for private or even for, for state uh, funds. I want to go into detail later on, as, as you'll see, is that we're going to cover these broad themes in, of the energy transition, I would say mainly within Poland, but all these can be applied, I think, to other developing countries. And hopefully this is really useful for you. So first, I just want to thank Bartok for coming on the episode uh, this week. And I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, we're definitely going higher and higher with our subscribers. And that's a really good feeling that we're getting this message out about what people are doing to make a difference and to help implement the energy transition. And I'll just read my final bit here. 
The intent of the My Energy 2050 podcast is to spread the knowledge about how the energy system can assist our transition towards a greener future. So keep that in mind. And now for this week's episode. I'm here today with Bartos Bartos Vietkowski. It's fine. It's Vietkowski. Poland in Warsaw, and I'm at the Polish Liquid Gas Association. More than that, Bartos is involved in a, a virtual power plant startup, we'll call it, or it's a ma- maturing company, and, and a range of other activities, and I have a whole list of questions here for him. And I have to say, we've known each other for quite some time. It is always a pleasure, Mike, yes. <laughs> yes. Going back, maybe going back to the shale gas era, or even... Even before then, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Long, long track record of, uh, I would say, un- incompleted projects uh, in Poland, like shale gas and nuclear power, that sort of yes. thing. Yeah. I, th- I think one of the first discussions we had was about nuclear power. So, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, or involved it. Yeah, we're still waiting for that Polish nuclear power. I'm plant. looking forward to actually, I would love to see the nuclear power plant to to be built in Poland, but uh, but I guess it's not a it's a long shot. Yeah, but actually, uh, then that brings to mind that's we did meet about that because you were working for a consultancy that was working on nuclear power. Yes, maybe, indeed. Maybe we were going to go into the post COVID uh, period in virtual power plants, but let's just back up and start over, and and actually talk about your role in getting involved in the energy sector and maybe just starting at this period of time with a consultancy activity. Yes, 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 indeed. Well, I'm involved in the energy sector since 2008, maybe. And uh, among my well, first energy-related projects was nuclear power plants uh, project in Poland and, uh, as you mentioned, shale gas project. Uh, at the very beginning, uh, when I was working for a, for a public affairs consultancy, I was also involved in uh, second-generation biofuels, uh, and uh, and then uh, I would say predominant form of renewable energy sources in Poland, so wind farms, onshore uh, onshore wind farms. So so that was very beginning of my. Uh, my long affair with the uh, with the energy policy and energy project indeed what maybe we take the long arc of things first what happened to polish nuclear power i mean there was a long history and attempts to build it going back way back what 80s even late 70s it was about the same time as hungary was considering it and then it's even i think on the plans for 2050 or even sooner is, are there any movements in Poland on nuclear power? Very much so. Actually. Uh-huh. Nuclear power plants are part of the new Polish energy policy 2040. And uh, there is actually a government strategy documents providing for a completion of the first uh, large-scale, traditional, third-generation nuclear power plant by 2033. So that's uh, that's sort of a strategy document. We are talking about uh, uh, about the base load uh, power generation, but at the same time, during 2021, uh, a new I would say, form of nuclear power pl- plants uh, 
took flight in Poland. So, so there is a lot of interest in small modular reactors. Uh, as we know, there are some design uh, being currently evaluated by the, uh, by the National uh, Nuclear Regulatory Commission in, uh, in the United States. And some of these designs are currently apparently considered, particularly by the private uh, operators in Poland. It is very much tied to, to a Polish plan to, to phase out coal. So in some cases, uh, in some cases, the power generation uh, companies are interested to replace existing power source from from fossil fuels with a with the nuclear power plant mm -hmm. so so actually i shouldn't joke about nuclear power in poland because basically it's been being dis been discussed for so many decades but now you actually feel like something is moving and we can be serious about discussing it well i would say <laughs> something is moving again so let's hope that this time uh, will be more successful than the than the previous time. Of course, it's a very a very political project. It's very sensitive from the standpoint of public opinion. But uh, I believe that to uh, to achieve the the emission reduction target from the Polish standpoint, nuclear power is is very much uh, among the priority projects. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Okay, well, that's good to hear because I think now, I mean, I don't know, just this, the, this week I was reflecting on it with the shortages in, in China, the power shortages there, uh, and it really kind of underscores the difficulty in transitioning away from coal. One of the reasons the shortages in, Pol in China is because they're trying to phase out the coal, uh, along with not importing coal from, from Australia, but nonetheless, it's, it's, it shows the difficulty of moving away from coal, and I think Poland... I don't want to say it's a similar situation, but but maybe it is because it's so highly dependent on coal. What about eighty percent? It's think? Uh, seventy something. Yes, at the moment. So so moving all that out of the system and then replacing it nuclear power would actually be a great base load generation to have. The the more so, I believe that uh, that uh, of these seventy plus or seventy five percent of uh, of coal, uh, more than thirty percent is lignite. So it mm. is very difficult to transport lignite, actually, and uh, existing existing uh, resources are being depleted at the moment. So by definitely by 2035, we'll, we will not have uh, any longer lignite plants, just because the, the existing fields are, are being depleted. Clock is literally ticking to build nuclear power then in Poland. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, some would say, well, we can't have nuclear power, but then an alternative needs to come out then. Yes, 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 very much so. That's, that's why, for example, Poland was among, these, among a group of these countries, alongside of France, for example, or Belgium, to push forward the nuclear power as a, as a part of the taxonomy, European taxonomy. Yeah? Mm -hmm. That's why the, the language of the EU partly stays neutral on the role of yeah. nuclear power. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Indeed. Okay. Uh, so, so I, 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 that's always good to check in. And and this power plant would probably go up. Uh, they would build it around Gdansk. I know there's two sites that were always considered as locations for nuclear power. The, the, as far as I know, the location is still not selected. Because, uh, it, okay. 
which is going to be selected over the next few years. Uh, but there are there are definitely some preferred sites. One is Pochevo on the on the Baltic sea coast. Mm-hmm. The second one is is sort of a legacy site uh, in Zarnowiec. Uh, it is still the same site where uh, where this uh, 1980s uh, old nuclear power plant was supposed to be built. Mm-hmm. But the problem with this site is uh, it is not. Uh, directly on the seacoast, so the modern third-generation reactor would not have enough uh, cooling uh, to uh, to operate uh, uh-huh. in this location. It's it's next to a river, I'm guessing. Um, or... it's next to the lake. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. But it is too small to support a third-generation reactor because it was. Uh, it was supposed to support the the old VVR four forty reactor, so yes. so four hundred and forty megawatts, yes. like one third of the of the of the current plant. Uh-huh. Which which is I think the one the same kind that's in Paksh nuclear yes, power plant. Yes, indeed, it's uh-huh. the, the same design that in Paksh. Yes, and just a fun fact is the control room or the systems for the control room that were meant to be built here in Poland were actually bought by the Hungarians and are used for training in Hungary. Yes, yes, I, I heard that story actually. And and actually this uh, this Charnovitz project was uh, was pretty much advanced and part of the equipment were sold to Finland actually. So uh-huh. part to Hungary, part to Finland. So pretty, wow. pretty it was so and story. that shows how advanced yeah. right the the things had been manufactured for the power plant here. Yes. And actually yeah. maybe maybe we go way back but and why why was it stopped? There were two major reasons. One reason was uh, was the Chernobyl, uh, and uh, and the resulting uh, distrust towards the nuclear power. And then there was a fall of communism in, uh, in 1989. So so actually in early 90s the the Polish state was in such a dire financial situation that. Uh, uh, that the nuclear power project was as, as unsustainable, both from the standpoint of, uh, from the financial standpoint, and from the standpoint of distrust towards the nuclear power in general, and probably also towards the uh, Russian technology in particular. Yes, uh, the first part, the, the distrust towards the Russian Soviet technology, is what I heard in the past. But why, why it was kind of dragged out for a long time? And then I, the collapse of communism and Chernobyl, everything combined, yeah, provides a good background for why it why it didn't take off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Hungary got lucky because they got they built it in the eighties, so yeah. it was all paid for in in well actually in exchange and barter and whatever money that they were able to they needed to pay they paid. And now, I mean, they've been operating the power plant since and basically didn't have to pay any money. To, to operate this. Uh, agree and I can uh, I can quote one of my uh, my friends an American engineer who said that there is no cheaper energy source than a depreciated nuclear power plant. Yes, yes. One that was depreciated under the Soviet system. Yes. <laughs> okay. With with that joke, then then let's turn to um maybe your perspective on the cleaner energy system. And this is a really general one. But as we'll get to, you're involved in this virtual power plant company, along with representing the Polish Liquid Gas Association. 
and involved as a country representative for SOTEL Systems, uh, which is, as I understand, an energy management system for solar voltaic uh, systems. And in my interpretation of, of your roles and knowing you and your, your strong knowledge in this area, you kind of operate in these in-between spaces or these niche within the power system. And I was just, my, my question to you to start off, and maybe this is too big of a question, is how do you see the development and the change in the energy system? I mean, we just talked about the, the tremendous struggle Poland has shifting away from coal-fired power plants. But how, how can this transition happen in a matter of a few years when, I mean, because you, you have an insight how technical things can get. Can, can this happen? Or we actually need much longer beyond 2035 for example, for a, a effective transition? Well, uh, that depends if, if you want a frank answer or, <laughs> <laughs> or, or a political one. Well, uh, I, would say, uh, I would say that there, there are many aspects to this, uh, to this process. It's one of the, uh, I would say it's a sort of a comparable to the, to the industrial revolution, actually, to this, uh, this energy transition. So uh, let me let me quote uh, Lauren Schmidt uh, from NSOE uh, uh, two or three years ago when I when I met him when he was still at NSOE he said that we need to be prepared to have uh, an energy system based totally 100% on renewable energy sources by 2050 and it's a very ambitious goal it's uh, uh, it's perceived as, as as a bold one by the uh, by the power system uh, people, and you know what is a bold challenge? It is it is something between uh, very difficult and patently mad. Okay. So it's that's the that's the bold challenge, but uh, but really but we really don't have much choice, as you said, because uh, because we need to phase out uh, lignite. Uh, we need to walk away from uh, from stone coal or, or black coal. Yeah. The, the process only depends on how much control we want to have over this process. So, so what we are certainly seeing is that the, uh, that the renewable energy sources are developing from bottom up. So. So when you look at these uh, large or sometimes white elephant projects that are uh, that are supported from the from the top level, mm -hmm. they are sometimes stalling because there is a lot of regulatory obstacles. There, uh, but but if you look uh, to these to these small, minute projects, sometimes they are they are developing like how, for mm -hmm. example, uh, if you look at the PV market in Poland. Well, the capacity of photovoltaics in Poland are, are like doubling or tripling every year. So, so these are these are projects operating below the regulatory radar screen, I'd mm -hmm. say, and these are actually uh, developing very quickly. These are operating in that way that they are uh, they are starting to interfere with the grid stability. Because because when I'm talking to the distribution system operators, people they say, well, actually the connection of uh, of, uh, of the growing number of PVs 
is playing with the with the voltage uh, within the distribution system. So the result is, if you can see uh, LED lighting, for example, they are very sensitive towards uh, voltage and the influx of these renewable energy sources, which is uh, PVUs are, for example, very sto stochastic uh, source of the, of power. And they are leading to a shorter lifetime of LEDs in the system oh, because, really? the, because voltage the voltage is uh, yeah voltage is very volatile at the moment. So this is one of the uh, one of the challenges, and uh, this is one of the challenges uh, resulting in the distribution system operators are becoming very cautious regarding the connection of new installations. And there is a there is a pressure both from the industry and from the regulatory standpoint. To, to combine uh, PV generation with the, with energy storage, just to just to reduce the impact on the on the grid. And in Poland, uh, they're doing more and more on energy storage. I mean, as I understand, there's two battery factories being established in the country. From the standpoint of uh, of production of uh, of chemical batteries, that's true. Yes. Uh -huh. Yes. And then and then is there a regulatory regime that that's meant to encourage the deployment of batteries? For, not, for this, for the grid not at the moment. Uh, it is uh, we are in the process of changing of the of the renewable energy sources law, and it is going to provide the the regulatory regime for uh, for energy storage. So there is already a provision for energy clusters in Poland that will require uh, them to have like a I may be uh, I may be wrong regarding the exact figures, but I think it's about two percent of the uh, of the energy clusters generation capacity needs to needs to be covered by the energy storage. Okay, so and it's going to to grow only. So two percent of the photovoltaic production has to be covered by energy storage. Uh, well. Concerning all the energy capacity installed within energy clusters, yes, two percent need to be uh, covered uh, covered by uh, by energy storage. Okay, regardless of the source of energy. Oh, okay. But it's okay. we are, uh, but it's going to be tighter. Right now, there is a there is a new bill on renew renewable energy sources, and there there will be uh, actually more uh, government support for installation of. Of battery storage. Okay, but then that's a huge incentive uh, to build more storage. Then I mean, if if it's a requirement of two percent, yeah. Then then the, the these um, energy clusters actually have to install more. Yeah, they 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 will have to install more. Yes, uh -huh. yes, yes. And then that's going to prompt. Yeah, I mean that that's going to make the grid much more stable for the in these. Uh, cases then, and it's a it's a definitely a direction that the uh, that the energy system will will evolve in the in the forthcoming years. Definitely. Uh huh. Wow, that's that's really bold. And then uh, within this area, maybe we can shift to the virtual power plant. Is there is there um, so maybe maybe first you can explain what a virtual power plant is, and then we can get into um, operating a virtual power plant in Poland or in other countries as well. So what what is a virtual power plant? Well, basically, I would say that the virtual power plant is a is a, a system. It's a software system combining uh, various energy assets, particularly 
generation assets, but also the offtake the, or, or demand uh, to to manage it properly according to, to to market signals and according to the uh, to the system requirements and system um, technical restrictions. So, uh, as you mentioned at the very beginning. Uh, I'm still involved in a, in an energy startup de developing the, the virtual power, uh, one of the virtual power plants, and in in case of these specific projects, we were particularly focused on uh, on the demand side of the market. Mm -hmm. So ma so on the on management of the energy uh, consumption uh, of uh, of commercial buildings, uh, which is a sort of Aspect overlooked by uh, by virtual power plants in general, because because it's it's quite difficult actually to manage the manage the demand uh, while avoiding uh, adverse impact on users of buildings. Uh huh. Okay. Yes. Yes. And and how do you how do you manage the demand side then? In in our in our in our case, uh, we developed a sort of an AI enhanced uh, management system that was integrating with uh, with so-called BMS, that is building management system, mm -hmm. that every modern commercial building uh, has installed, uh, and this uh, this specific system, uh, on the basis of uh, of uh, data from from sensors we installed in the building and uh, and the data from the legacy BMS sensors adjusted in real time uh, opera uh, operations or settings of uh, operations uh, of automation in these commercial buildings uh, according to the to the real demand for example according to co2 content in the air inside uh, humidity within the building or perceived temperature mm -hmm. and you had you had um yeah, sensors monitoring all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. We were installing sensors only in like a critical area of the building. We were also reading data from BMS. And in real time, uh, our algorithm was changing the settings, for example, for uh, HVAC. So uh, ventilation and heating and air conditioning within the building to adjust it to precisely to the need of the of the people are uh, using the building at the at the very moment okay and did you get feedback from the people well the general feedback was that the uh, the quality of air and uh, and the comfort parameters improved oh really if okay if you look at the if you look at the the perceived effect from the from the tenants particularly uh -huh. yeah. but that's really important because you would or i would think that if you install these sensors and you try to basically you're trying to save energy, right? So you're trying to do less that maybe the airflow would be less or the heat wouldn't be as high. But you're actually saying that people felt better in these buildings. Well, I, I actually, mm -hmm. that's the that's the beauty of the algorithm. You can configure it uh, according, for example, uh, to uh, to the contracts signed by between the tenant and the and the building owner. So, for example, if the uh, the expected parameters, uh, temperature parameters are between, I don't know, 20 and 24 degrees Celsius, we can configure the system to be exactly that. 
And right now, it may vary much more. So uh, depending on the uh, on the settings and um, uh, insulation, uh, because they may monitor, they may not monitor it actually. They, they are not monitoring it in uh -huh. real time. It is like uh -huh. set up at the, for example, at the beginning of summer, and it continues at, until the end of summer, regardless of the weather outside. Regarding of the weather outside, yeah. Uh -huh. So the so the algorithm was uh, was actually checking the the weather conditions. And adjusting the, uh, the the operation settings accordingly. And then the other side of it, then I mean, the purpose of you managing their energy system is to save the energy in the building itself, and then you're able to. So that's one side of it, and then you're able to sell that power or that contracted uh, saved power uh, elsewhere, like to the grid. That's uh, that's of course subject to regulatory regime, mm -hmm. but definitely what we uh, what we did and we were capable to do was to to shift the uh, uh, to to shift the load of the building, so so we can uh, we can we can change uh, time zones when the energy is consumed to avoid uh, to avoid uh, peaks of demand. Within the electricity system, so we, uh, so what was uh, we 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 actually proved that on one of our clients that we can uh, that we can shift uh, the consumption of energy uh, from uh, more expensive uh, peak hours to uh, to less expensive off peak hours, reducing all, also at the same time the the strain on the on the grid. Mm -hmm. So how, how did so, you do that? Well, uh, basically, the algorithm was uh, was uh, using the thermal inertia of the building to consume more energy before the the peak hours mm -hmm. to prepare the building, and the building actually can retain these thermal uh, conditions for a long time. So you don't need actually to, for example, to to operate uh, uh, well air, air conditioning. Uh, one hundred percent during the during the peak hours because you can uh, you can cool the building earlier, like at seven or eight a.m. to prepare it for peak hours. Oh, okay, yeah, because it retains the yes. cool air. Yeah, uh -huh. so yeah, you don't have to do it as the t the thermometer hits eighty or let's do it in Celsius. I don't know, thirty degrees Celsius. Then that's when the air conditioning would would kick in, but you can actually. You have your weather profile, yes, and you can cook, kick it in a couple hours earlier. Even. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh -huh. So that was basically that was that was the that was how the system was was working. That and was. and why is this still a startup company? This should be in every building. There should it should be a multi billion dollar company now. Well, there are there are many aspects to that. One is uh, one is that it is. Uh, that our solution was uh, was very inexpensive, actually. So I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, me too. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, but the real thing is that it is much easier to to uh, to finance a more expensive project, to to set up financing for an expensive project than a than a for a smaller project. I've heard this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's actually much easier to to line up financing for uh for i don't know a cogeneration plant at the new building mm -hmm. than for a rela relatively small sensor system 
reducing the energy consumption. So I mean, I mean, I'm I'm sure you, for example, VCs or what Inno Energy from the EU. You went to these and you cooperated with these uh, kind of typical organizations. Yes, yes, uh-huh. yes. So, uh, ju- just uh, just an example. You go to a VCE and say we want to do to deploy our system or uh, twenty buildings this year. And they said, what is the worth of the project? Because we are interested in the project not, not smaller than 500,000 euros. And we said, well, these 20 buildings are much less than, uh, than, than 500,000 euros. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's pretty difficult for, uh, for such a financing institution because, because the am- amount of paperwork is the same than oh, for a bigger project. Uh-huh. So you, uh, from the standpoint of such a such a fund, you, in that case you would need to do not ten big projects, but one hundred small projects. It's it's just not efficient from from their standpoint. Mm-hmm. And then from your side, you couldn't scale it up, or it's difficult it's, to scale it up. It's quickly. it's it's a little difficult to scale up because uh, there are also some some intricate uh, aspects of the real estate industry. For just just for example, uh, we need to contract such a service with a building owner because it is also an owner of uh, of the infrastructure of the building. Mm-hmm. At the same time, mm, the main beneficiary is a tenant because the tenant actually is uh, is improving the the comfort for for employee uh, for employees. And uh, the tenant is actually saving energy because uh, because all costs, all energy costs, are transferred by the building owner onto the tenant. So we are contracting the building owner to reduce costs for tenant. Yes, and they're not getting anything out of it. The building they, owner or limited. They amount. may, but uh-huh. the benefit is is maybe limited in terms of uh, financial value. It may be much higher uh, in terms of, for example, of ESG uh, parameters, but ESG parameters uh, being mandatory only from 2021, when the uh, when the um, when the new European Council and Parliament regulation came into force, it is pretty new. So actually, for on uh, the 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 owners being the uh, the real estate funds. Uh, they are right now in the in the first year of reporting of ESG parameters to uh, the world to investors. So it is going to be a factor from this year on. But in the past, it was of relatively minor importance. But but you don't have a. I I just feel like what you're saying is you don't expect things to change in the future. On this role of a virtual power plant, I would say that the there are uh, there are two separate uh, aspects of that. One uh, one aspect is uh, virtual power plants uh, in the field of power generation, mm-hmm. and it is growing because you need to uh, you need to manage more efficiently these um, these decentralized uh, energy sources like uh, like this growing uh, industry of photovoltaics or 
uh, or wind farms and energy storage. It is, uh, it is going to be connected to this, uh, to this virtual power plant. And the second aspect is, the, uh, is the how real estate is changing at the moment. And real estate is uh, changing particularly from the standpoint of these, uh, these uh, climate reporting uh, obligations. So they are actually in the process right now to, of internalizing the need to, to improve energy efficiency, to report the energy efficiency projects reducing their carbon footprint. So they are they're in the process right now. It is definitely uh, a step in the, in the process to, to make the virtual power plants also more predominant in the real estate industry. And, um, but those are for new buildings. And essentially what you were dealing with were older buildings, I'm guessing, or semi-new? Uh, yes and no. I mean, the, the typical building uh, for, for which virtual power plant uh, connected uh, our services was like modern office buildings built 5, 10, 15 years uh, ago because they have installed all of these modern BMS systems the more advanced BMS system, the uh, the better we can uh, adjust it to to respond to our our signals. Mm -hmm. Older buildings, like twenty or thirty years old, just don't have these uh, steering capabilities. So first, you need to uh, to modernize it uh, to implement these uh, these management capabilities in the second phase. Mm -hmm. Would it be useful for, for example, to Pair your company with, um, like a what do we, we call this an energy efficiency building or what ESCO is it? Uh, where where they come in and they do the retrofitting in a building, and then is is that kind of how things should progress in the future? So it's the entire building's modernized physically and even virtually, and this is how we can achieve greater savings in the building sector. That definitely such an ESCO company is a. Is a good partner for 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 these sort of services in the in the real estate industry. Yes, we were we were also working. We are still working until the end of this year uh, with one of the large Polish uh, energy uh, companies, the state-owned companies, and we were uh, or our service was uh, was sold uh, in addition to the to the energy they are they were selling to to the to their corporate clients uh, but it was not a very uh, it proved not to be a very efficient solution because because actually the the sales organization of such a state owned uh, entity was configured to be rewarded for the volume of electricity they were selling so if they were at the same time selling the energy uh, efficiency solution, um, it was it might be a counter counterproductive from the standpoint of the specific uh, salesperson that was offering this solution. So from the standpoint of the company, it it made uh, a lot of sense because they were expanding their uh, energy services portfolio. Yes. But from the standpoint of a specific salesperson, to reduce the volume of energy that he's, uh, he's selling was not an optimal strategy. 
See, this is why I wanted to talk to you, is this, right? Because it's not just build these big projects, but it's these nuances Absolutely. within the energy system. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, I mean, even in that case, like uh, a regulation by the energy regulator that the, the, this companies or these state-owned companies have to reduce energy use, in this case, the salesman or saleswoman, it would be overlooked in their role in this, and they wouldn't be promoting this. Absolutely, and then these bar- and these parameters or these KPIs need to cascade down to the level of a, of a specific salesman. Otherwise, it just won't work. Yeah, yeah, it's the limitations within the system yeah. itself, uh, and and the pers- even goes to personal motivations. Absolutely. So, so the CEO can say, "Hey, yeah, we're going to do this, and we're integrating." All this energy efficiency and smart energy technology will keep it broad. But at the at the ground level, when it's sold to a, a building owner, they're not pushed or they're not maybe educated enough on on the possibilities. And it's a, it's actually a pretty common story because uh, because I was I was talking to one of the other uh, virtual power plant companies in Poland uh, focused on the power generation, distributed power generation. And one of the big Polish energy companies invested in the, actually an investment arm of such a company invested in them. And they were expecting that in, in such, a, um, such an environment, they will benefit from a, from a capital link with a large energy company. And it proved not to materialize. Really? Yeah, because because this specific uh, investment arm considered this investment as a sort of passive investment. Yes. And the company was left uh, on its own to to seek uh, clients. Okay, okay. At the same time, the conservative energy generation um, business of of this company was not really interested to work with the with the startup. Wow. What do they just wanted to put the money in to say that they were putting the money in to assist them and to for the um uh even for the ESGs, right? To to make it look like they're doing something. But yeah. it was a passive investment, not an yeah. active investment where they would try to help roll it out. Yeah, and well, what I'm trying to say is that even if there is a if there is a real interest of the of the board in investing in such companies or investing in on extending the the new energy portfolio, if it does not cascade uh, to the middle level management, it's just a no go. Yes, yes, uh, that's great. And then maybe we move a little bit to um, the Sotel systems. Oh yeah. And I'm I'm, I'm saving the um, liquid Polish liquid gas associations, but but. The Sotel system seems to be also um, part of this uh, story and focus of kind of in-between systems. And maybe you could explain what, what, what does it do and, and the benefits. It's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, so, Sotel system is, is an Israeli, uh, Israeli co- company developing a management platform for decentralized photovoltaic. So a typical client for Sotel uh, is a company operating multiple small installations, like 50 kilowatts uh, uh, next to, to a household or, or on the roof, uh, or 
next to a small uh, industry plant. But if there is a if there is a single operator of these decentralized uh, installations, like a municipality or an installer providing uh, uh, providing also maintenance services, uh, such a such an entity needs a platform to manage one access point to manage all of the installations from one single site. And these photovoltaics are based on various vendors of inverters, various panels, various systems. Soltel system can, can integrate with multiple uh, vendors uh, and provide you a single screen to report, to monitor, to diagnose, and to, to send a, a maintenance team if required. You can see it. You, know, like you can the, see the power out. You can you can you can see the reason, expected reasons uh -huh. why the why the specific installation fails in performance, and you can see that there is a, for example, the need to send somebody to to clean the panels because uh, it is uh, it is um, one of the functions of the of the system to diagnose the reason why the why the specific installations is not delivering so not just highlighting oh well this is the power output past 2 weeks or something but it actually tells you you got to clean your panels well it, it's uh, it's actually responding within uh, within one day that that something mm -hmm. is is just not right or the or the, or the specific panel is not uh, is not working so it's it's diagnostics. It's it's reporting, uh, and it is uh, and it is a single point of management. Yes. Okay. Okay. And and uh, in Poland, it, it, this is a global company. It's it's, it's a it's a it's an Israeli uh, it's an Israeli company. It's a mm -hmm. startup. They are operating at the moment uh, a lot of installations in Israel and in California. Mm -hmm. Right now, they are coming to to Europe. They are talking to to some clients in in Spain uh, with their ex pretty extensive uh, PV industry. Yeah, they are also talking to um, uh, to clients in the uh, in the Dach market uh, in uh, in Germany and Austria, and we are talking in uh, in some candidates uh, candidates in Poland at the moment. Okay, but the but the key point is that. Uh, Soltel systems reduce by like like ninety percent costs of maintenance of uh, of uh, photovoltaics. So it's it's not helping with sales, it's mm -hmm. not uh, helping with installations, but it is helping with uh, with day to day operations uh, once the PV is installed. Wow! So it can really have a. I mean, it pays for itself. It pays of itself. Uh, I'm going to be a promoter of the company, <laughs> but it does, right? Because it, it is, catches it? like major problems earlier on. This whole automation and monitoring of, of equipment catches what could be a bigger problem later on early, and then it can be solved. Yeah, yeah. Actually, actually, if you look at the life cycle of uh, photovoltaics, uh, the, uh, the the output of uh, of PV is uh, is is falling uh, over the period of time. Uh, when the when the PVs are are losing their 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 performance and depending on how they are maintained, the the differences are are quite uh, are quite uh, huge actually. So if there is a if the, if there is a proper maintenance, you can uh, you can lose like five to seven percent of the 
uh, of the performance over the over the over over their lifetime. If the if the maintain maintenance is uh, is uh, well suboptimal, you can uh, you can lost uh, you can lose about like. Um. Okay. With okay. So the Sotel systems, it's a startup as well. It is a startup. And and what is your experience working in these different types of startups? How 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 is uh, working with Sotel systems as a startup? different from the virtual power plant is it is it more getting more reception because it's on the pv market rather than energy efficiency market or even how how in terms of raising funds to expand their business is it easier for them uh, what is i would say what is important actually there are some uh, some similarities and there are some differences the similarity for example is that in both cases, when you are coming to the market with a new, completely new service, you need to find your way between the existing players on the market. Or you need to pair or, to, or team up with an existing, uh, existing player to provide him with additional value uh, to improve his margin. So it is, it is just the same uh, story concerning the, the market approach. You, when you are coming uh, to the market with a new uh, new project, whatever the technology is, you need to provide a very convincing narrative how to improve the the business performance of existing market players. Okay. So that's a that's a top line, and no uh, no startup with whatever great technology is not going to to uh, survive on the market without this, that aspect. Mm -hmm. So that that is an important part. So they have to engage with established companies, uh, probably, or really prove how they can uh, how they can uh, replace existing player on the market. What is very very difficult, basically. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. So generally, uh, you can go easier way to, to, to team up, or you need to have a very convincing financial proposition to the market. Okay, okay. And, and uh, just your experience, because you, you mentioned they're active in Israel, California, Spain, this is quite international. Yeah. And even with the VPP here, it, weren't you active in Germany as well? VPP, indeed, we were, we were reaching out to, to, to international players. Uh, one. Uh, one important aspect, I would say, concerning VPP was that we really had to be present physically on the site to install our uh, our equipment, and to install and, con and configure. So that, to some extent, it uh, limited uh, uh, the physical outreach. So it is, for example, difficult to uh, to implement the solution on the on the Californian one or two sites. You need to yes. invest in the new market, basically, to, to start uh, deploying. Okay. So that was, that was one aspect. The other, the other aspect, what is uh, also quite important for VPP, is that when you are, uh, when you are reaching out to, a, uh, to an existing market player or an existing client like, uh, like an investment fund, Operating on the real estate business or on the PV uh, business, uh, you need to do a pilot project first mm -hmm. to prove that you are delivering, 
and then you need to roll out on the uh, on the broader portfolio so because it just doesn't make sense to to target single projects across the portfolio because you need always to start from pilot project okay so you need to roll out on on a broader portfolio managed by a single player it's it's much more cost efficient and uh, and concerning for example real estate most uh, real estate facilities in Poland are owned by in, by international players like German funds or uh, or Australian funds or uh, in some cases Czech funds. So you need to talk directly to the people in headquarters because uh, in headquarters they uh, they are likely to to deal with some some local company and actually block you from uh, from entering the their portfolio. So so it's quite. It's quite difficult because, uh, because for example, Germans are operating in a different mindset than uh, yes. than, uh, than the Polish. And if you have a, a large company operating uh, like ten or twenty buildings in Poland by two hundred buildings in Germany, you need to convince the headquarters and not not only the local people. Right, and the local people might block it for yeah. whatever reason. Then yeah, uh -huh. yeah. In that sense, Sultan might be easier to deploy because you don't need to be physically uh, present at the site, and uh, the configuration is uh, is entirely virtual. You, you, we need only uh, we need only uh, uh, user credentials to to log into the uh, existing interface to to connect it to the to the Sultan platform. Uh -huh. So maybe this is why I'm just guessing like startups we see as in the tech world because of this, because doing a software startup is maybe easier than a, doing a, one with hardware. That's absolutely true. Uh, on the other side, uh, there, is a, uh, there is a higher barrier to, to access this software plus hardware market. So if you are a successful hardware plus software uh, startup, you are pretty uh, pretty secure to 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 reach up your goals and uh, and you are pretty safe against the the newcomers because mm -hmm. because mu it's it's much easier to develop only software uh, it's much more difficult to to develop hardware on the on the scalable uh, solution and, and, yeah. and it, yeah i mean and if you deployed your hardware then the building owner whoever has also invested in your company in a sense because they have the hardware there. It's also the software operating, so the cost to switch could, or to quickly change to a new system would actually be higher for them. Might be that that might be the, kind of theory, the case. But, yes, that uh, might be okay. the case. Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe maybe now we get to the Polish Liquid Gas Association, yeah. and I'm I'm really excited about this because. Uh, Good as to hear that, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know, but <laughs> anything you're involved in, I'm excited about. So, so because I, then I know it's really interesting and good. So, and this LPG, and I've just learned in a brief conversation before the, the our discussion started, uh, Poland is really high up on LPG. But maybe you can explain what is the Polish Liquid Gas Association and and what does it do, and then we'll get to the, how LPG is used in Poland. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, basically, what is LPG? It's a liquid uh, petroleum gas. 
So it is the mixture of propane and butane, basically. So hydrocarbons that are a byproduct from uh, from uh, from refinery uh, production and um, gas exploration. So it is already there because it is being produced uh, as a byproduct. So it is just a case of uh, using it uh, in a, in a viable uh, way in the in the economy. And uh, what we are as a Polish Liquid Gas Association, we are an association of companies which are involved in the in the wholesale liquid gas business. Uh, so we are basically importing and um, and distributing uh, the liquid gas in applications uh, popular in Poland. Uh, and all the companies producing for the for the specific market. So among our clients are both uh, both international companies like SHV and uh, and, and uh, UGI, and also uh, companies producing cylinders and um, uh, and tanks for the for the liquid uh, gas market. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we are doing, we are we are currently involved in uh, in uh, raising the flag of the industry in Poland for the purpose of the Polish energy uh, energy policy also within the framework of the of the European climate policy and the and the green deal what is important because uh, we know every every uh, every one of us knows that uh, uh, that fossil fuels uh, fuels are the are dead end in the long term yeah, so, so you're going to be out of a job in five years, no? So that's the that's the point, actually. What we what we are what we are saying uh, that in 2021, and it's it's very important. It's very it's very serious business here. Uh, our uh, our members complied to shift 100 percent of uh, of production from fossil fuels to to organic uh, uh, renewable feedstock. So. So basically, we are going uh, we are going rural. Actually, we are going to produce uh, produce LPG uh, in the fermentation or uh, or gasification uh, process, either from farms or from uh, from organic residues, organic waste from municipalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a very very long shot from the standpoint of the industry. It's very uh, carefully planned. Some companies across Europe are, are already transforming the, uh, the existing refineries into uh, into bio refineries so we are we are starting to produce bio LPG uh, it is already happening uh, Repsol in Spain and uh, and Italians are trans, uh, transforming their refineries uh, Neste uh, in Scandinavia is producing bio uh, bio LPG, but what is particularly interesting from our standpoint in Poland there there is a there is a very promising company producing uh, with patented technology producing various actually biofuels including bio petrol and bio LPG. Uh, from uh, waste residues 
and actually our uh, our uh, clients are committed to scaling the, this technology up actually they are they are considering uh, they are considering investment even investment in such a company and uh, and exploring their uh, their scalability to implement this technology in new uh, new facilities across europe so so let's get this straight then so the lpg which relies on yeah, these feedstocks from gas uh, and the, the waste product from processing it, uh, they, they have actually committed to move away from the fossil fuel and uh, only use uh, biogas produced from, uh, what, what would we say, natural feedstocks? Or, yes. Uh, this, this waste, yes. Uh, which can be both municipal waste, uh, Toilet water, we could say politely, uh, or or mixed waste, yes. mixed waste, okay, <laughs> right? Or or it can come from a farm, for example. Is this um, like methane from cows, or just it's just the sludge? It's even? a it's a similar process actually, mm -hmm. because uh, because uh, propane butane is uh, it's a similar uh, hydrocarbon than uh, as as methane. It's a it's a quite similar process, yes. Okay. So, so, well, this is quite, and, and, um, so by, by shifting it and Poland, it's a, it's a big country and it has the capacity to, um, the industry has the capacity or how do I explain it? There's capacity, a natural capacity to replace the fossil fuel based uh, LPG with, um, this, this, uh, bio-based LPG. There is. Uh, of course, there is always a question of regulations how to how to promote such a uh, such a biofuel because at the moment it is all, of course a little bit uh, more expensive than a fossil fuel mm. uh, that a fossil origin uh, yes. LPG. But uh, let me comment quickly on the on the market because you uh, you also uh, you also pointed out at that uh, indeed Poland is among uh, among the most prominent European users of, uh, of liquid gas, LPG specifically. And uh, in Poland, probably also across Europe, only the, the percentages will, uh, will vary. You have LPG in, say, three major applications. One major application is, uh, is a LPG as a transport fuel. So, so cars, uh, cars with the with the propane uh, propane tanks, which is what three million in Poland. It's really it is high. approximately three million cars wow, in Poland, indeed. Uh -huh. uh, and it is like two thirds of the Polish market at the moment. It's pretty, I would say, it's pretty um, uh, pretty stable. We don't expect to 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 expand very much because we have uh, we have the um, the plan for electrification of the of the passenger fleets uh, across Europe. Okay. So so LPG will uh, will remain for a while. Uh, we will probably replace uh, LPG as uh, with bio LPG as a drop in fuel. Uh, but uh, but it is a market with I would say limited expansion potential. The second uh, segment of the market uh, is uh, LPG in, in cylinders, and it is used for, uh, for example, in, uh, in tourist application, also for campers, 
last year was great for campers actually oh yeah for camping for yeah. camping yes yeah. because people were restricted to travel across europe so many campers actually were using uh -huh. lpg uh, locally yes but it is also pretty uh, pretty stable market the, the third segment which is spe especially promising for us is a produ production of uh, or application of lpg as a as a heating fuel for uh, for particularly for for not connected uh, rural areas mm -hmm. so for off grid uh, installations both for households and also for for rural business for for rural industry and it is it is really growing very much at the moment uh, both if you take into account uh, the the air quality uh, shift from from uh, from traditional coal fired uh, yeah. boilers to, to 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 gas boilers whether it is uh, lng or lpg it's a it's a huge environmental uh, difference and also uh, it is a case for for small business for the in the in the food industry for example in the in the for example large uh, large consumers of LPG are chicken farms, uh, which is a huge business in Poland. And these are uh, these are companies that are that that are off grid. They are established a long way from uh, from the from the gas grid, and they are uh, and when they are switching from uh, from uh, from production of heat from from coal to 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 uh, to to gas, it's a it's a, an important, uh, in, in, important environmental step in the in the decarbonization okay. in Poland. So, so our uh, our point is that if you if you convert these old uh, heat sources with the heat sources based on uh, LPG, and in the longer term with bio LPG, because you can ship to bio LPG without any investment uh, as a consumer, of course. Then you are you are delivering a tangible uh, benefit from the from the standpoint of uh, economy decarbonization. Uh -huh. We see it as also uh, we see it as a I would say as a third major pillar alongside of uh, electrification, which is going to happen. Yes, and energy efficiency. So yeah, in the rural areas, then this LPG really can make a difference, especially if you're switching from coal. Yes, <laughs> then it's outrageous, and or just and even wood, so they don't have to use wood for for heating uh, homes as well. Yes, yes, definitely. The, the more so that actually, uh, wood and uh, and biomass, it is uh, sort of a mm, gray zone in terms of regulation. So, so very frequently you really don't know what is being uh, burned yes and in in poland um the, uh, do the what is it the poor what just say the poorer people in the rural areas do they burn coal or do they burn wood or is it a mix uh well it is typically it's a it's a coal uh-huh but it's coal, but in many cases uh, they are still burning waste. So they are, yeah, they are. There are some some people which are still burning furniture. They are burning old old tires. So it's it's 
Wow. It's pretty terrible from the standpoint of uh, of air quality, particularly in the uh, in the in the smaller uh, smaller towns where there is a limit limited access to the to the gas grid. Mm-hmm. Are, are there some regulations, or at least some talk about some regulations to require households in certain villages, for example, to maybe use LPG or to use electric heat? Uh, we are we are currently uh, there are currently actually there, well there there is a regulation concerning the uh, concerning the um, technical requirements of the of the heat source at the, in households so you cannot install at the moment you cannot install uh, um, the new heat source that is uh, below a certain level of uh, of energy efficiency and and I would say emission uh, from the from the process, but there is also a, a very broad program implemented by the government to replace the the legacy uh, polluting uh, heat sources with the with the new one. So it is the it is really the option to move from the from the uh, from the old like coal boiler to a new to a new gas-fired uh, boiler, with advanced one, uh, with a very, uh, very small investment on your on 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 the side of a house, household, because it is supported by the by the government fund. Okay, and how much how much uh, does a boil? I mean, I don't know. This is maybe hard to say, but how much would a boiler cost an LPG, uh, a gas or LPG uh, fired boiler for a typical Polish household? I mean. Or how much would they have to pay, maybe out of pocket for this? That I would need to check for you. <laughs> okay, I know it's a hard thing to, to get the numbers. Okay, so th- that's fine. So there's this this push, and and also as we discussed, then um, there's there's uh, on the part of your association, recognizing and integrating more the role of LNG. Indeed, um, yes. And maybe you could expand on that. Why? I mean, there's obvious reasons, but why, why is LNG? Uh, becoming more prominent in Poland. Uh, well, I would say that the that LNG and LPG are actually a pretty uh, complementary fuel. So, so you can use LNG and LPG with various applications. LNG is uh, is typically very well suited for uh, for bigger industry. Which is already using, uh, for example, l- large amounts of uh, of gas. You can build even regasification, uh, regasification station, and in the in the future you can uh, can connect the the gas grid to such a regasification station. So you you already have uh, your own infrastructure, mm-hmm. but you can connect the uh, the pipe later on. Okay. Uh, in the meantime, you are, you are getting uh, LNG through the um, uh, through the, or the cistern or or a, or a tank. So that's that's one of the application. LNG is also also a pretty a pretty good solution for for heavy duty vehicles and uh, and municipal transport. And we are moving towards this zero or or low emission transport in the in the cities and. And already many municipalities are are using these LNG uh, LNG powered uh, buses. So mm-hmm. so LNG is, uh, is also here a perfect uh, perfect solution. 
and uh, and LNG is frequently used uh, for um, for ship for ship bunkering for uh, for fueling uh, for fueling ships actually. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. So so these are uh, these are major uh, major applications of LNG. LNG has uh, one uh, one major downside, which reduces it, its applicability for smaller users. It ne- it needs uh, cryogenic technology yes. because you cannot you transport LNG at uh, at the ambient temperature. It's it's just impossible. So 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 basically, the the, the key is. Uh, is apply, apply LPG for smaller users because LPG does not need uh, any cryogenic capabilities, and LNG for for bigger users. Okay, okay, I, that makes sense. And and how does hydrogen? Does hydrogen enter here? Because there's a lot of talk now of hydrogen. Yes, hyd- hydrogen is a very, I'd say, very popular uh, uh, source of energy at the moment. There is a lot of uh, there is uh, actually just in Montego the, the, there was a, a sectoral agreement uh, for development of hydrogen in Poland uh, mm-hmm. uh, signed by by man, multiple parties, uh, government and not government parties. So hydrogen is uh, hydrogen is certainly on the rise. Uh, there are some some projects to to prove uh, the the viability of of producing green hydrogen also. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, our members are also interested to participate in the in development of uh, of uh, of hydrogen uh, applications in Poland because because you can also uh, you can also transport hydrogen in 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 the tanks so so it's it could also be a liquid gas actually yes uh, from my personal standpoint it is. A little bit far at the moment from uh, from industrial or commercial application. It's more a, a proof of concept uh, from my personal standpoint. Okay, yes, I'm not yes, representing yes. The, the 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 view of the organization at the moment because we don't have a view right now. Yes, but uh, uh, but it's definitely something to to explore. It's definitely something to participate in development. Uh, I don't see personally uh, a major application of uh, of hydrogen uh, within the next decade or so. Um, we are talking a lot about the the hydrogen cells. The hydrogen cells require a very pure hydrogen. It's a it's a very I would say sophisticated process to to produce such a such a pure hydrogen. Um. I can tell that uh, that there are some, I would say, companies in Poland which are which are trying to develop the the capabilities to produce hydrogen. But at the moment, I think that that apart for from refineries, which are obviously producing uh, hydrogen for their technical processing, there may be five players involved uh, and capable of handling. Uh, hydrogen in in major qualities in Poland. Okay, okay. So it's not a big topic yet. It is well. It is a big topic. Uh-huh. I'm just saying okay. it is uh, it is more about development than than practical uh, okay. application. It's shale gas, two thousand 
12, 2013. Well, I didn't say that. <laughs> I did. <laughs> we'll say that. That's what I say. So, but let's, but let's hope it, it, it does take off yeah, somehow, yeah, right? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. You build a nuclear power. And you know what pink hydrogen is? Yeah, yes. I heard, I heard about the many colors of hydrogen. Yes. Many... Pink hydrogen from the nuclear plant. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... Okay. Well, um, I, I can I can tell you that once once I spoke uh, with one of the refineries people, and they said that they were interested in uh, in building a, a electrolyzer run on uh, on renewable energy sources in the vicinity of the refinery. Uh, but it turned out that uh, that using all the capabilities uh, in the region. Uh, they could produce about five percent of the of the uh, of the hydrogen they need for the for the refinery process. Wow! So it is uh, well actually using the uh, using the natural gas they are producing much more they can do from the uh, from the renewable energy sources. But at the same time. I think that uh, that generation and uh, storage of hydrogen is a very good solution. If you have a, a major surplus of renewable energy sources, you cannot uh, you cannot uh, push into the into the grid uh, mm -hmm. given technical constraints. It is possible to build an electrolyzer, uh, convert it to, into. Uh, into hydrogen and store it locally. It's uh, it is a viable solution, I would say. Mm -hmm. Good. Okay. Well, I'll, look, we'll save that for the next visit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, if we have to wait another two years, then we'll get there. Okay. Well, uh, Bartos, I just want to bring this around, and and we've talked on lots of different uh, topics, uh, that and it, it's fantastic. And maybe just to end the, our discussion. I would really like to know, and we could. You can take your time in answering it. So, but what will Poland's energy system look like in twenty thirty five, twenty fifty? And it goes back actually what we talked about at the at the very beginning: a phase out of coal, phase out of lignite at least. And what what are the changes that are maybe most dramatic in Poland over the next few years and and longer term? All right, so. Well, if you uh, if you ask uh, if you ask ask an expert on the on the uh, uh, on the more more most likely direction, such an expert would say, "I don't know." Well, we can <laughs> we can play a futurologist, I would say, because you know, futurologist congress by Stanisław Lem is a very popular book. I, I can play a futurologist. Yes, please, please. <laughs> So, so as a futurologist, I can uh, I, I can imagine that by, by twenty thirty five, uh, we won't have any more any lignite uh, in our power system. We will have we will have major footprint of uh, of offshore wind farms already, because uh, multiple projects are ongoing. And we would have photovoltaics in uh, in a, a little bit different uh, in, the, in a little bit different uh, context than today, because today most of the projects are, are small uh, rooftop or or household application. 
but large PV farms are being built at the moment. So by 2035, these large PV farms will be prevalent. Uh, and that will and it will complement uh, uh, coal still in the system, but uh, but retained in the much smaller uh, quantity. Probably by twenty thirty five, we still won't have a nuclear power plant. I uh, I sincerely doubt that 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 it is possible by twenty thirty five. But to compensate uh, the growing amount of uh, of renewable energy sources, uh, the the energy storage will be uh, will be required to balance the the degeneration. And particularly from the standpoint of industrial installation, you won't get uh, a permission to connect to the grid without uh, without an energy storage on site. Wow. So I would I would say that's the and that's the direction uh, we will have uh, uh, we will have more energy clusters uh, more self uh, self managing uh, and uh, self sufficient in terms of uh, of energy and they will also have uh, they will also have uh, energy storage these will be specifically based in the in the rural areas, uh, more distant from the uh, from the from the cities. So, uh, so that's my that's my idea for twenty thirty five. For twenty fifty, I expect that uh, that we will have nuclear power plant and uh, no uh, coal capacity any longer because that that will be phased out long before twenty fifty. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's my that's my idea, okay. and of course virtual power plants. They will be yes. they will be there, particularly to manage these distribution energy sources. Yes. Yes, and and you'll be the CEO of the largest virtual power plant company in. Poland. I don't know because we just recently I I read that uh, that uh, being a CEO or a managing director pro- provides a major risk for your health. Okay, okay. Reduces your lifespan, actually. <laughs> I, I believe it. Right? Let's just keep doing what we do so we can live longer. Yeah. Yep. I love it. Okay, Bartos, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. It was a, a pleasure, like always. Always, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We produce the My Energy 2050 podcast to learn about cutting edge research and the people building our clean energy system. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode, please share it. The more we spread our message of the ease of an energy transition, the faster we can make it. You can follow us on LinkedIn, where we are the most active on the My Energy 2050 webpage, or on Twitter and Facebook. I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. <laughs>